The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at college basketball throughout the ocean state and elsewhere. Uh, this is Bill Koch, sports writer here at the Journal. My usual co-conspirator, Kevin McNamara, is in Atlanta with the Patriots on Super Bowl duty. And so as we promised last week, we've drafted in a replacement, a different co-star who you might remember from the summer months on our Red Sox podcast, The Twin Bills, sports editor Bill Corey. You mean we're not going to be talking about the Red Sox today? We can if you oh. want, but it's probably not what the listeners came here for. If you really care no, about them, no, then, you know, we'll, 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 keep do our, we'll do our hot stove uh, Red Sox podcast on another date. Uh, we are. Uh, it's coming up quicker than you think. I right? know. Truck day is Monday, by the my way. My goodness. So, yeah. Uh, really? So I'll do my best to fill the uh, ample shoes of Kevin McNamara, who is... Uh, who is toiling away in Atlanta this week with Mark Daniels for our Super Bowl coverage. Just uh, a little background on Bill Corey, folks. Uh, Fall River native, so grew up with a great appreciation for basketball in that community, obviously. Go Durfee. For, for anyone who has read Bill Reynolds' book, uh, Fall River Dreams, which is a classic, gives you a little bit of insight into how big a basketball community that is. Uh, Bill moved on to the University of Rhode Island, uh, was raised... As a Ram in Kingston, uh, on the backs of Silk Owens and Tommy Garrick and Kenny Green, uh, was there at a really great time uh, for URI basketball? Absolutely, I was very lucky when I got there. And, I, and quick, quick uh, story here. So, you know, growing up in Fall River and watching local college basketball, you know, PC was the big thing at the time. And I didn't love PC, and I didn't hate PC. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was cool that they were in our backyard, so to speak. Well, they they were on NBC, right? Yeah, with absolutely. Chris Clark and all that. Yeah, absolutely, so they, and they got all the pub, and obviously right. Patino was the hot young coach, mm-hmm. and and you know they had some stars and stuff. But um, you know, when I got to URI, I remember, hey. This, this team, uh, th- this school actually has a pretty good basketball team. I, right. I'll be the first to say I didn't know that much about the URI team, but man, did I learn a lot about it that first year. And that was a great, great year. Tommy Penders was the coach. Uh, as you mentioned, Silk Owens, Kenny Green, Tommy Garrick. What a, what a year to be a freshman on the URI campus. Yeah, and, and what a time to follow the A-10 as well. Obviously, you had Temple with John Cheney. Oh, Cheney, yeah. Uh, and, and a certain coach who took over at UMass for the 1988-89 season <laughs> named John Calipari. I remember him? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he went did, on to do he, a few did he, things. Did he win the championship? No, I guess he did it right. Not at UMass, he didn't. Uh, a little later on, though, he, <laughs> right, he certainly right. made his name. Um, you know, so Bill's basketball bona fides are uh, are solid, well, folks. Uh, well, what wasn't solid is the URI performance against uh, Duquesne, which you no. saw firsthand. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't watch the game. It wasn't on television, but I was following along uh, your commentary and. Uh, and obviously on Twitter and stuff, and I unfortunately uh, couldn't believe what I was reading. And I guess this is just the sign of a of a young team without some sort of veteran anchors on that team. Yeah, well, transition into the Rams a seventy five seventy two loss at Duquesne on Wednesday, a game that you or I led by nineteen points at the half, and then proceeded to melt down over the next twenty minutes. And and Bill, you know, in my mind, over forty minutes at the Palumbo Center, we saw the best and worst of this team. The first half, they were nasty. They were defensive. They shared the ball well, 11 assists to one turnover. Cyril Angevine was dominating inside. They shot 50% from the field. Second half, they come out. They turn the ball over on the first three possessions. 
and veteran teams, and, and in particular NBA teams, where minutes conservation is a big thing, and you're playing on back-to-back nights, and you want to get the veterans some rest, they'll talk about how much longer we really need to play. Right to cement a result. They'll go into the fourth quarter with a 12, 13-point lead, and veteran teams will say, if we play another five or six minutes and we can get this out to 16, 17 points, Game's over. the other team's not coming yeah. back. We can sit, we can watch the rest of the night. If you or I gets through the first couple TV timeouts at Duquesne, and let's say they have an 18-point lead with 12 minutes to go, the game's essentially over. All you need to do is run the shot clock not commit turnovers and make a few free throws. You'll win the game. You don't even really need to play that well. It was the exact opposite in the second half on Wednesday night. What jumped out to me on the stat sheet is the second half score, 53-31. to 31. And, you know, URI, and we've seen it many times this year, they have a tendency to kind of go cold from the floor. And that's going to happen. You know, they don't, they're not gifted with, you know, Lock, uh, knock down 100% shooters, but you know their calling card has always been gritty, tough defense, and it. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't see it, but I guess that just wasn't there because you don't give up 50, 53 points and a half uh, and lose the game after you were leading by nearly 20 uh, at the break. Yeah, the, the amazing thing there is you know Duquesne scored 22 points in the first half and still ended up with the third most points per possession in a full game against URI this mm. season. Wow. Um, ended up at 1.09, and you know that's unconscionable when you consider what they did through the first 20 minutes to, to look at what they did in the second half. Frankie Hughes scored all of his 20 points. He made all five of his three-pointers. Sincere Carey had 14 of his 16 points in the second half. And probably the most disappointing thing is on the scouting report, you would see Frankie Hughes as a three-point shooter, and you would see that Sincere Carey is a guy who can warm up a little bit and be a scorer. Your eye just did a poor job of – attention to detail over the last 20 minutes and I think that's probably symptomatic of a team that's young that can lose its focus that doesn't necessarily apply itself mentally through 40 minute segments and they paid for they uh, they paid the price on Wednesday Right, and it's not something we're used to seeing with the Rams of the past couple of seasons. You know, a Rams team with E.C. Matthews and uh, Jared Terrell and, and the year before with Hassan Martin, you, you don't imagine things like that happening. But, you know, truth be told, this is for the most part a young Rams team, and they have they have some years ahead of them to grow. And hopefully this is a lesson that, that, that they can uh, they can remember and, and take uh, take with them moving forward. I'm sure... I'm sure David uh, David Cox had some choice words for them afterwards. Yeah, uh, Friday after practice, he, he made a real good point. I thought he was asked a question about uh, their record after losses. They're 7-1 and one after a loss. Uh, Duquesne the other night was the first time they'd lost a game this season um, in back-to-back fashion. And, and he said, quite frankly, that uh, you know with younger players, guys who haven't been through the wars of college basketball, guys who aren't seniors, it's a little easier to get their attention after a loss. Hmm. After a win, they're not quite as edgy. They're feeling good about themselves. Uh, The way he phrased it is, these guys want to be comfortable. And the only way that they're going to grow and get better is if we make them uncomfortable. Uh, And I think that was a really good point. I think he has a real good pulse on his team, a real good idea of where he would like them to be mentally we just don't necessarily see that every night. And I, I think that's largely because that's their identity. That's who they are. 
Well, uh, talking about getting comfortable, they shouldn't they shouldn't get too comfortable because they have a, a pretty stiff test coming up here pretty quickly, right? Yeah, St. Louis on Saturday, a team that they played <clears throat> earlier this season, uh, their Atlantic 10 opener, they lost 60-53 at Chaffetz Arena, a game that they played without Fats Russell. Um, he was in the concussion protocol at the time. They really did a good job on Jeff Doughton in that game, not necessarily keeping him off the scoreboard, but they rushed him on ball screens. They double teamed him. They tried to force the ball out of his hands. He was really the only ball handler that URI had that they had any confidence in at that point. Now you've got St. Louis coming in off three straight losses. Their last one, 84-81 to Richmond. A real surprise at home on Wednesday night. That's the most points they've allowed in a game this season. St. Louis typically a very good defensive team. Um, the two games before that, they lost by four at Duquesne and by one against Davidson, a 54-53 rock fight. And I think we could see something similar to that Davidson game at the Ryan Center on Saturday. This is going to be a desperate URI team looking for a response and a desperate St. Louis team looking to get back on track here. Um, you know, they've sort of seen their at-large hopes for the NCAA tournament all but vanish here. Uh, you know, Barring 10 straight wins in a, in a run in the conference tournament, even that might be short uh, to get them into March Madness. They're just looking at you know games that they absolutely must win now from here to the finish. Right. Right. Um, yeah, they, they they started the season off uh, really well and uh, three, three, three straight losses, which tells me, Bill, that there isn't this single elite team in the A-10 this year. No. And as much as we sit here and say Rhodey's having its problems, hey, who knows what could happen at the, at the, uh, at the A-10 tournament? No, that's absolutely right. You, you look at George Mason, they're leading the league right now at 7-1. and one. Uh, Davidson is 6-1. and one. Um you know, in both of those teams, George Mason in particular struggled non-conference. Mm. Uh, had some opportunities, didn't really win any of them. Uh, neither one of those teams is in the top 80 uh, per Ken Palm. Um, so you're looking at, at the league, you know, the top of the league, the teams in front of URI, Dayton 6-2, and two, Duquesne now 6-2, and two, their best start since 2010-2011 uh, when they started off 8-0 and then faded down the stretch. Um, so an opportunity for Rhodey. To sort of, you know, reestablish themselves here, start moving forward. This is a very tough part of their schedule. They go to Davidson next week, and then they welcome Duquesne, uh, Duquesne, sorry, Dayton, mm. to the Ryan Center. So, going at Duquesne, St. Louis home, at Davidson, Dayton home, could be the four toughest games in a row on their schedule going forward. Right. Well, last week, as it turned out, was a uh, heartbreaking week for both our. Uh Division One. Well, we have four, but uh, you know, two of our Division One teams and Providence uh, lost what was a very winnable game uh, against Seton Hall. And uh, I am. Uh, I look back at the, uh, the game story, and there was a quote by Ed Cooley that that jumped out at me, who, who described his team as being, uh, you know, resilient and tough. But uh, he says, I don't think we're very intelligent from the shoulders up right now. And I think that that's a nice way of saying we're young and we need to get our Get our act together if we're gonna if we're gonna try and win some of these cl- these close games. You clean that up nicely. Yeah. <laughs> I thought uh, you might go in a different direction, no, just no. being a podcast and all. But we are a family show. Sixty five, sixty three, Seton Hall win over the Friars, and I I think what Ed Cooley was probably getting at. Uh, we talked about Rhode Island, you know, sort of lacking attention to detail at times. If you look at the scouting report for Seton Hall, the one guy who can really hurt you there is Miles Powell, mm. uh, scoring guard. 
good player, shoots it pretty well from the outside. He can get to the rim for an undersized guy. He had 31 points in this yeah. game. Half of Seton Hall's production. He did hurt you. And, and if, <laughs> if you're Ed Cooley and you think about the game planning and the film study that goes in and the defense that you would like to design to take away another team's lead option, mm-hmm. the Friars did not do that. Uh, you know, Powell, obviously, with 31. Michael Enzi, the only other Seton Hall player to reach double figures. Uh, very efficient from the floor. Four for five. He had 12 points. Otherwise, Seton Hall didn't really do a whole lot in this game. Providence yeah. all but allowed themselves to be beaten by one man in a road game that you know could have gotten them back in a reasonable position in the Big East. They were looking to get back to 500 in the league. Uh, and now they're at a point where they go to DePaul, uh, a place where they're 2-2 two and two in their last four trips. Mm-hmm. Truly a coin flip game on Saturday. Uh, and, and without any momentum. It, Providence could have had three straight wins there with a win at Seton Hall and, and also you know would have been a win over a top 70 opponent. Uh, would have been a nice one to put away and they weren't able to do it. Yeah, and then and then I believe they're welcoming Georgetown uh, into town uh, next week. So uh, that's, you know, a uh, stiff couple of games for him. AJ AJ Reeves didn't get much action. I wonder if is is if he's still kind of ginger on that foot there. Uh, Ed Cooley said he's on a minutes restriction. Yeah. Uh, obviously, playing with uh, the injured foot, it, it kept him out for a while. Um, played very well in in the previous game against DePaul, a seventy sixty seven win at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that game. He was three for six from three and had eleven points. Right. The other night at Seton Hall, he was zero for four in in just nine minutes. Nine minutes um, right. You know, and and you don't really know how he's feeling at this point. Uh, it was the first time he's tried to play back to back games in a while. You wonder about his conditioning sure. as well, uh, because obviously he wasn't really able to practice that much, get up and run around that much. And what they're really trying to prevent is something developing into a stress fracture or a broken foot. That's something that not only would keep him out for the rest of the year, but it could him it could impact him into the summer and going forward. Right, which is, which is what you don't want, obviously. I mean, he's a bright young star and certainly capable of, of uh, carrying this team to, to some heights in years to come. I mean, they, they, they too have some great young talent. Uh, and I think, so, I think the next couple of years, you know, uh, we'll see a uh, kind of a revamped uh, PC team. But again, I think everyone's expectations, and as Bill Reynolds wrote uh, not, not long ago, you know, P- PC's been to the NCAA tournament now, what, five, five years in a row? Five years, yes. I, I don't know if this, I'm not sure this, this year's team is going to get there, but you build expectations to that level. It's hard for people to, to, to step back a little. Yeah, I think the, the difficult thing watching PC is you look at what they recruited in terms of Reeves and, and David Duke, who are two top 50 guys, and you just think it's going to happen immediately right. on the floor. Right. Uh, you watch them play in high school, in prep school, on the grassroots circuit, and you say, wow, these guys are great players. They're playing against people their own age. When you put them out there in a college game, they're playing against guys four years older, four years stronger, four years more experience. It doesn't necessarily happen right away. Uh, David Duke in this game had eight points, one assist in 24 minutes. Not a huge impact on the game. Um, They don't really have a secondary scorer. Behind Alpha, yeah. If it's not Reeves, they don't really have a guy who's going to jump in behind Alpha Diallo, who was good again in this game, had 21 points. He's the only player for Providence who reached double figures. Uh, Isaiah Jackson was 3 for 11 from the field. Kevin McNamara last week on the podcast called him sort of the barometer player for Providence when he plays well and shoots well. Mm. They're capable of beating just about anyone. 
three for 11 isn't going to get it done. Uh, Drew Edwards, who was really good against DePaul the other day at the dunk, he had 13 points in that game. Uh, Only six points at Seton Hall. Only took three shots in 21 minutes. Probably needed him to be a little bit more assertive in this game uh, with Reeves limited. And now you're looking at Providence, you know, like we said, going to DePaul, a team that you beat by three points at home, a team that really looks a lot like you, um, you know, from the standpoint that they've had some decent wins, they've had some tough losses. Um, doesn't really seem to matter where they play, home or road. It, it's sort of a coin flip for them. They've lost three games in a row, but their win previous to that was at Seton Hall, 97-93, a place that you just lost. So yep. if you ask me to predict or, or to perhaps drive up to Twin River and place a friendly wager <laughs> on Providence's game on Sunday... Which you can't do, by the way. I would kindly <laughs> decline right. because I'm not sure what to expect out of the Friars on any given night. Right, right. Uh, not, not that, not that uh, I'm borrowing you, bo- borrowing you from betting. It's just that Twin River doesn't accept bets on local uh, college teams. That is true. Okay. Uh, so moving uh, up 140, uh, uh, 146 a little bit, let's go up to our friends at Bryant who came off a, uh, uh, a nice victory down at Wagner recently. Yeah, really good win for Bryant uh, Thursday night at Wagner, 71-64. Uh, first of a four-game road trip for them. Um, you know, and Wagner is a place that they hadn't won in a few years. Uh, you know, Wagner's a, a good team in the Northeast Conference, formerly coached by Dan Hurley before he came to URI. Uh, you know, good program who's been in the NCAAs a couple times here in recent years. And so for Bryant to be able to get over 500 after nine games in the NEC. They're 5-4 and four now in conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time they did that, it's been a little bit, Bill, 2014-15. They finished 12-6 and six that year. They made the conference tournament semifinals. Uh, so you look at the job that Jared Grasso is doing in Smithfield. He has this team competitive in the league on a nightly basis, probably well before most people expect. Certainly a lot quicker than I thought. You know, a new coach coming in, these are not necessarily your players, but he's certainly, um, you know, got them to buy in. Sebastian Towns had another big game. Um, and they are playing, uh, they're playing hard, and I think uh, this bodes well for the program. It bodes well for uh, Grasso's ability to uh, to get guys to play for him. And, you know, I, I don't know that this is the year that they're going to, uh, win the NEC, but um, you know, I think, as you said, the turnaround is quicker than I thought, for sure. Yeah, they're, they're certainly ahead of schedule here, yeah. and I, I think you look at the Wagner game specifically, uh, had a 13-point lead with four minutes left. They were able to hang on down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, what they need to win games, not only at home, but especially on the road, is they need their best three, be- their best three players to play well. Uh, last night, you had Sebastian Towns, 23 points. Byron Hawkins and Adam Grant each had 16. Mm. When those three guys are in the column and generating the offense, Bryant is going to have a chance to win uh, on a given night. You also look at the other end of the floor. Wagner was 9 for 32 from three-point range. And so I think if, if you look at Bryant not only spreading the scoring out among their top three or four options, but playing good perimeter defense, making it hard on the other team to score at the other end, I think those are the keys for them. They, they have been throughout the season. Uh, they executed really well. Uh, on Staten Island in that game. Uh, they're in action uh, tomorrow night, Saturday, uh, or is, is it afternoon? Saturday. Uh, Saturday at, uh, at Central Connecticut. Let's take a look. For anyone who'd like to take the trip down, 3.30 yeah, uh, in New Britain. Uh, and uh, our other uh, Division One team, uh, Brown, you were there um, at the John Lee Amphitheater last week. I was. And uh, saw them uh, 
drop a close game to Yale, 79-71. What were your your impressions on that game on the road, Bill? Uh, Well, first, Yale's very good. Um, (laughs) You know, Yale is is probably as good a team as Brown is going to see in the Ivy League. Uh, They're one of the 2-0 teams with Princeton right now, who's also 2-0. Um, you know, very difficult place to go for Brown. They lost their ninth straight game there. Um, that's also the place where the Ivy League tournament is going to be this season. Um, and, and again, the Ivy League tournament is it the the top, is four, the top teams. four teams go? Yes, yeah. and yeah. and so for Brown's perspective, starting off zero and two, they've left themselves with a lot of work to do sure. now. Uh, they're at Dartmouth on Friday night, at Harvard on Saturday. Um, you know, and I would say that they probably need to win both games. Uh, you know, to feel a little safer and a little bit back on track. And, and it's going to be a tall task. Those are, you know, if you look at our friends at KenPalm.com, those are going to be two games that are going to be within three or four points either way. Mm. Uh, prediction. Um, you know, it, it's just going to be it's going to be hard for Brown going forward, only because you only have twelve and you probably need to win eight of them. Mm. Uh, you really needed the split with Yale. It was a game where you you were sort of behind the whole way. Brown would get it down to six. Yale would push it back out to thirteen. Brown would get it down to seven. Yale would push it out to fifteen. They they kind of big brothered the right. Bears a little bit in that way. Um, you know, I, I think the one thing that really hurt Brown over the two games against Yale was Desmond Cambridge. Couldn't really get him going. He was eight for thirty five combined, mm-hmm. only twenty one points in two games against the Bulldogs. And you know, for Brown to beat anyone good. He's their best player. Right. He needs to be good in those games. They got real good efforts out of Tam and Ang Cho. He had 18 and 16 at home, followed that up with 24, 15, and 5 assists at Yale. Couldn't have asked for any more out of him. He has uh, three double-doubles in his last four, uh, but just didn't get enough help in that game. And if you're going to be playing against Yale on the road, you need everyone firing on all cylinders yeah. to beat them. Yeah, Desmond Cambridge was only one from seven, one for seven from behind the arc, and, and you, you definitely need more than, more than that uh, in that game. Uh, you know, I think that that's one strength of the journal, that we have both you and Kevin McNamara on the road with, with uh, PC and URI, which is not something a lot of papers do, but it's something that I think our readers uh, care about, and it's obviously very important to us and, and our company that, that we cover uh, you know all four teams, and certainly travel with with the uh, URI and PC teams. Yeah, this is uh, it's increasingly a pro market. Obviously, with the Patriots being so good over the last twenty years, and and the Red Sox, you know, winning four championships this century, uh, it's easy to sort of get sucked into the fact that Rhode Island is is just a larger suburb of Boston, right? Um, you know, and and we sort of follow the four teams. Until this time of year, market. we always kind of have our we always sort of take our little detour this time of year. And the last few years have been have been great because our teams have made the uh, made the tournament. Yeah, the last two seasons in particular to have URI and PC both in the tournament. You know, I've obviously been out on the road uh, during those. You know, in Sacramento the first time, and then in Pittsburgh the second time. But you know, my phone blowing up from friends back home. Hey, going out to watch the game. Right. Uh, you know, can't wait to watch URI. Can't wait to watch PC. Right. Uh, what channel are they on? What time is the tip? Um, you know, really great amount of interest here. Obviously, the NCAAs have been here in 2010, in 2016. I think in 2021, they come back to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Mm-hmm. Um, the games are always sold out. If you go to any of the establishments surrounding the dunk, they're full on right. game day. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's really a great environment. And I think having been born and raised here like you were, um, 
you know, this has always been a great college basketball market, and, and so that's why, you know, Kevin and I really wanted to take this on and do the podcast weekly, and I know that that's something that Mike McDermott supported uh, as a sports editor before, mm-hmm. and it's something that you've carried on as well. It's it, No, it's great, and, um, you know, it's there's always a great buzz in the city when PC's playing down here and whenever the NCAA has some of its regional tournaments down here, and, and having been to a few of the URI games this, uh, this year as well, you know, URI is benefiting from some of the uh, recent success of the past. We're seeing some big, uh, some bigger and more consistent crowds at the Ryan Center as well. The Ryan Center is a fabulous home venue. I, I've said that you know, when the Ryan Center is full and, and sold out, you're not going to find a louder building in the Atlantic 10. And, and really, you're not going to find a better home environment in a lot of places. Um, you know, like Dan Hurley before David Cox, of course, I wish that on some nights there were a few more people there with me. Um, you know, but I, I just... Because I know how good that building can be. And from going to places like VCU and like Dayton uh, and even St. Joe's to a a smaller scale, largely because of the... (laughs) <laughs> the loudness, uh, the brashness of the Philly fan in Philly, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, I, I would say that uh, I've seen what home court advantage can do right. for teams. I, I've seen the energy that it can give them. Uh, the Ryan Center is capable of doing that as well, uh, as much as any other building that I've been in. Uh, you know, so I definitely feel that down in Kingston as well. Well. Uh Next week, uh, your your old partner in crime should be back, and we will resume uh, the pick and pop with Kevin and Bill. Um, until then, there's a football game that you're going to be, I assume you're going to be watching it as well on Sunday? I will be. Uh, I'll be at a good friend's house. Uh, it's a fairly yearly tradition. I think I've gone to his place last 10 or 11 seasons. Um, you know, He and his wife put out uh, a great spread. We have a wonderful time. Um, the Patriots being in the game certainly changes the mood and the atmosphere there. Well, they seem to be always in the game now. Well, that, that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit less about uh, the squares at the end of every quarter and, and about the food and a right. little bit more about the football right, when the right. Patriots are in the game. Um, you know, we'll be paying a little bit closer attention play-by-play, play, that's for sure. Great. Well, thank you for inviting me on the Pick and Pop. And uh, we will uh, get back to our regularly scheduled program ne- programming next week. Thanks for coming on, Bill. Sure.